Welcome, dear readers, to Cover My Ass, where baffling books are reviewed but not read by yours truly. My name is Kaki. And I'm Kay, and remember, we only judge a book by its cover. And we find ourselves once more amid the towering stacks of... I still I still can't say our library, it's still your library, right? The okay, library. No, okay. Let's the, make it the library. The library feels so impersonal. Mm. No, like it's a, I, it's, think it's it, a I think it's kind of library that deserves a definite article. Whoa. Okay. No, that's that's mm. that's a very good point. It is the library. Yeah. Wow. I'm looking at it with a whole new perspective these last few weeks while I've tried to uh, put away childish things. Your vision isn't going weird again, is it? No, it's not. Okay, good. I am reminded that it is the eh, it's about the the anniversary of the deterioration of my eyesight into uh, pure ultraviolet was the spectrum. I'm just yeah. catching all the readers up on the unnecessary lore. Um, so I'm quite delighted that uh, like everything just everything just seemed to be working smoothly. Do Funny that, isn't it? Like, yeah. Does it does it fill you with a sense of dread and yeah. worry? Yes, that, that's like, that's right. So you've you've been through this before. Uh, it, it it occurs to people when when things seem to be going okay and there's no like weird new animals. Things seem to be going too well. It's like too. like when's the other shoe going to drop? Why is there like? Should I've been wearing two shoes this whole time? Uh, it's traditional. Well, then how am I supposed to pace in cool little circles? Oh well, you could nail one foot to the ground and then like. Oh, there's an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In order to like forestall this sense of foreboding, I could just nail a nail one foot to the well, ground. I like, didn't say it was a good solution. It would work. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's usually my line. <laughs> well, so uh, I appreciate that we're coming closer together. So since it's been a while since since any of my usual shenanigans, like I haven't befriended any yeah. wildlife, although I do miss Guinevere, the Velociraptor. Never never did find out what was going on with well, that. But yeah, we did. We we kind of lost the quest for the breeding grounds and got distracted by other things, didn't we? Yes. Or at least I did. But. I haven't been allowing any such distractions to enter my life for for a few weeks now. Like, I've been reorganizing and stacking the shelves and, and checking the stamps, like we talked right. about the little stamp. Yeah. But so, I think I'm ready to start taking the next steps. And I okay. wanted to talk to you about a performance improvement program. You know, the the, the next step in my career as a, as a librarian. Yeah. How do I move from a junior librarian to, I mean, what's the next, what's the next step up? And how do I... You know what's my what's my path there? Well, right? I mean, after junior li- librarian, you get librarian. Yeah, yeah. See, yes. that's the one that I'm interested in. Okay, I'm sure we can work on that. You've shown that you're capable of handling yourself in uh, regular day to day library affairs. Yes, I mean, I do carry my sword with me wherever I go. It's, it's, yes. it's essential. Well, yes. I mean, not. I mean, okay. So carrying the sword is fine, but it's really not something you should do when you're at the service desk. Okay, clarify. Sorry, right. uh, my immediate reaction was uh, uh, I have needed it to protect myself several times at the service desk, but I'm here to learn. I'm here, so please. Well, please. I mean, if you're a service and customers, yeah, then carrying a sword is a little bit uncouth. To be honest, I don't actually recall when the last time was that we had any customers for the library, yeah. so that's not as much of a problem. So manning the service desk is more about making sure that there's enough tea and coffee. Can do. Yeah. I believe uh, it's also the anniversary of the discovery of the cafeteria. So that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So checking books out and in. I mean, I, I guess oh, I'll yeah, have I to go that. come by you and make sure that the books are checked out properly now. When oh. I whenever I come and uh, take something for my private reading. Yes, let's do that. Okay, that'll be fun. Yes, and then we can move you up a little bit. Janitorial duties. I think you've already kind of taken on in Abs- more in more ways than one. In, yeah, in, in, yeah, a, yeah. in a very Thank you. Uh, exemplary way, Thank I might you. say. Let's work about this. Let's give it a little trial run. Give you full. Regular librarian duties. So a badge and a gun, you're saying? Well, I mean... I mean I've got the laminate. Me, 
we can do. Guns, I mean, no. Let's not go with guns. Well, that was a hard answer. You're not even going to think about it. Because then how am I supposed to, when I misbehave, how am I supposed to hand in my badge and my gun? Because that's the part I'm really looking forward to. Mm, okay, well, the thing is, with not giving you a gun, it's like I don't want any more forty-five caliber bookworms getting around in the wild, you know? Yeah, but you fight fire with fire. like the, the Not only... in a library you don't. <laughs> okay, well, see, this is where you're the senior librarian. I've in the library you fight library. fire with a halon fire suppression system. Oh, that's fun. Not uh, good if you're good at holding your breath for a long period of time. I am. I'm oh. like Guybrush Threepwood in ah, that, in three that minutes? regard. Ten. Ten. A solid was it? ten. ten yes. Yeah. Okay. So for 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 the coming week, I'm going to be manning the service desk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oh. Your duties will be opening the library doors on yeah. time, closing them, making oh, sure doors? that making sure that the till is made up properly, that it's counted at the beginning at the end of the shift. Uh, so opening the doors is going to be a little bit of a problem. It has been. It yeah. has been. For, um, like for the so first... let's skip that part. Back I'll give you an, an official exemption on that. Okay. Score. Cool. Okay. That'll be good. Everything else, I'll run you through the procedure one time, and then you can shadow me at the front desk for the first day, and after <gasps> that, I'm sure we can let you off with your training wheels. Kay, I'm so excited. Oh, I'm glad to hear yeah. that. It's like, you're, you're such a light when you are excited and like enthusiastic about something new, especially. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm sure that unlike all the previous things that I've embraced with this enthusiasm, this won't turn into a fucking travesty, for, for this time for definite. I'll hold you to that. Well, like, actually, let's make that an action item on your review for <laughs> okay. your position as a regular librarian. So the number of fucking travesties uh, in the course of my duty should stay below, like, five per year? Ooh, oh. I said below. Yeah. Listen, it's got to be achievable. It's not like I'm going for senior oh. librarian or, uh, well, you know, uh, no. the master no. of the librarian or no. librarian wizard or whatever. Yes. So, we have a book. We have a book. We do, we do. It, uh, this week's book is by Andre Norton. She... she Right. is a returning she, author. She That's is. right. I don't know what the book was called, strangely. I remember that the episode was called The Shoshone Swami Showdown. Say that ten times fast. It was episode 19. Oh, oh Lord of ago. Thunder. Oh, right. I really, yeah, with yeah. a giant bird, and you yes. had uh, uh, Perkele and Pocatello. Oh, oh, the other. There's a returning theme in her books, then, because, and again, we are dealing with ancient gods. The, at least, yeah. gods from the ancient world. The name of the book is Witch World. Yes, and on the cover, if you look down at your podcasting device, by the way, you should, should be seeing the cover of today's book. Otherwise, you can check the show notes for an image and a link. You can check Twitter, at CoverMyAssCast, where you'd look for episode 71, or you can go to the website at CoverMyAssCast.com, and then you will see... The this cover, which I really like this kind of color scheme. Right? Red, and, We've red and blue? Secondary colors. There's violet in there, which, you know, I'm pretty sensitive to with my, my yeah. eyes still uh, recovering from the ultraviolet spat, but also some bright reds and, 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 and cool pastels. Andre Norton at the top, Ace Books. Also, paradoxically, down the left side, it says uh, First Book Publications. It's got this, it's got this cool style for the cover. The, the figures on the cover are all of these sort of bird men. I think it's, it's a toucan. Or ish? No. The eyes are not toucanish, but the beak very much is. Oh, have you ever seen a toucan skeleton? No, oh, it's like, yeah. It's ridiculous. Enormous beak. Well, it, yes. Yeah, it's the huge, huge beak. So on the front cover, we have a gentleman with a ray gun. I thought it was his industrial feather dryer. Sort of. And he's got like a toucan headpiece and a very skin tight outfit with a crest emblazoned on his chest of the red outline of some other bird. Mm. And then there's knights who also have the same costume, but they also have shields and, right. and longswords. I think it's a feathery outfit that he's it's wearing. Sort of, yeah. It is. Totally. It goes with the bird headdress, which yeah. makes entirely good sense considering the setting of this book that we're dealing with. Yes. Now, we start um, with uh, something that I was honestly a little bit unfamiliar uh, with, the, the, the preparations for a performance of Die Taubeflöte, the magic flute, 
the famous uh, opera. Uh, opera by by Mozart with uh, Schinkenade, who was someone that he worked with at the time. He played. Yes, the he was. The, he played the main part. He the, played Papageno, yeah. who is sort of a, a Hausdorff kind of character. Yeah. He's a bit of a, a, a fool. Just the standard, like looking out for himself, a little bit a dumb guy, a little bit every man, but a little bit like a little bit greedy, a little bit selfish, a little bit like you know out for his own good. See, I appreciate characters like that. Oh, they yes. they sort of humanize the world in the face of usually very idealized heroes. I've got to admit, I didn't know the magic flute flute very well or uh-huh. at all. In fact. I think it's one of my favorite pieces by Mozart. I, I do love a good soprano, and the aria of the König in der Nacht is like, oh, the, it's the amazing. Queen of the Night. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll come back to her later. Yeah, we sure will. So uh, we start off with a, a production being prepared for the Magic Flute by a rather an unusual theater troupe who practice sort of radical kamikaze theater. Now, this is sort of like improv everywhere, yeah. where they take their theater productions so very seriously, they, they essentially give up their, their real lives. This is beyond method acting, where you stay in character as long as possible. They go so far as to uh, legally change their names for every production. Which is, which is quite a, uh, an effort, because a lot of places don't let you easily do that. I mean, I guess in the UK you can do it by deep poll, but in a lot of other places, changing your name is like, forget about it. Yeah, certainly when you get, uh, you know, one of the problems in theatre is always finding enough boys to play the roles. Yeah. So you cut mm. oh yeah, 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 there's a huge shortage. Which is kind of weird, because uh, historically all the parts were played by men, even the yeah. female parts. Well, this is one of those things where certain professions have sort of changed in terms of their gender stereotype. You know, the way that maths and computers was originally women's work because it involved typing and, it, and that seemed yeah. like secretarial work. So in this case, some of the actors have had to legally change their sex to match their role because they're doing <laughs> yes. a, a kamikaze theater. And like they're, Which is not very popular with venue holders. Because, no. But, you know. no, so they're quite radical. They go everywhere. Like their last production was extremely unpopular, which was a kabuki version of Star Wars. Wars episode two, Attack of the Clones. I can see how it would be suited for that, like yeah. with with with, with the, fa- the robot face masks and everything, yes. and it's all the stylish Roger Roger movements, and that would be a fantastic. I would have loved to see that actually. Likewise, it, it was performed pretty underground. I think they excavated the salt mine for several of the performances. Uh, but so the Kamikaze Theatre Troupe has finally recovered from the Attack of the Clones production, yeah. and they've moved on to the Magic Flute. Now, of course, this requires all of them to learn to sing, which they've never really done yes. before. Which is actually something that was a problem with the original as well. Oh, yeah? So, yeah. So the, uh, the name of the character, you mentioned him, the, the actor who plays Papageno, was one of uh, Mozart's close friends at the time because he'd been yeah, he, involved uh, with the troupe. And I think he wrote the, the he lo- libretto. Yeah, he wrote the libretto, yes. Yeah, the story. Uh, uh, which is kind of, like, dissed upon, because it's, it wasn't considered to be particularly good. It was, but it allowed Mozart's imagination to soar, and he wrote a fantastic uh, musical score to go along with it. But his vocal range wasn't particularly good. Okay. And he was not a very experienced singer either. So what you see in the, in the score compared to the music is that, like, often... The note where the singer is supposed to start on is already picked up by the strings, so he can find his tone, oh. and then he can carry it, and, and lots of the rest of the mu- mu- uh, melody is also carried by the musicians. Right, so that he just has to follow, or you can well, lower you can follow, and you can just like kind of adjust and just like kind of keep it going like that. That is fantastic. Whereas the, the part of the Queen of the Night was sung by his sister-in-law, who was a very experienced singer, and she just gets to shine because is he knows the... she can carry the part and he can, like, do with the music whatever he likes, do all the counterpoints, and she can just, like, belt wow. it out. <laughs> That's the aria that you mentioned? Yes. It's yeah. the, uh, um, the Holle Rache... 
kocht in meinem Herzen, I believe. The empty vengeance boils in my heart. Ooh, <laughs> that... Yes, that's quite appropriate for the person who is playing the Königin der Nacht. Unfortunately, could not completely change their name, as was usually required, because they were in the middle of rather an intense custody battle, and so it was yeah. quite in- important for them to retain Ooh, their previous yeah. legal name, and so that is now Queen Shakti, yeah. the senior member of the Jedi Council. She, she like she went to court over this over this custody issue while they were still doing Attack of the Clones, and you you can't change your name in the middle of a of a lawsuit. Otherwise, it, I mean, you're, your you attorney would advise you not to do this. Exactly. You can't have a plaintiff and then like a different person wins the case in the end. One of the other members of this uh, this troupe, one who's actually got his shit together, he plays uh, uh, Sarastro, the uh, the sort of wizard, no, the high priest. Sorcerer. The... He's, he's, he's a sorcerer. Yeah. Uh... Um, next up is the, I mean, technically the hero of the of the show is Tamino, but he was still kind of stuck in Attack of the Clones and he became Camino. Well, yes, he kind of like forgot about that part. It's like yeah. Tamino, Camino, let's just fake it. I'm sure there's a language in which the K and the T are pronounced the same. Wow, that's a language I would want to learn. <laughs> so we round out our, our cast with uh, Papageno, who was mentioned before, where uh, actually two people thought they got that role due to a miscommunication uh, uh, and neither of them really really handled it very well so one of them eh, not not one of the more open-minded members of the troupe didn't appreciate being called Papageno so he, he rewrote it to be Papa Straight No because that was more in line with his identity yeah I suppose that makes sense it's one of the key p- parts in the yeah. opera it's like and there's very much a the area when you sings with Papagena, which is all about the children they're going to have. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. It's like first a little Papageno, then a little Papageno, then a little Papageno, and then it goes on like that for a little bit. And they, apparently they want quite a few kids, and they expect the gods to bless them with it, which I suppose they do. I think it's going to be harder for uh, Papa Straitno and his partner, who is also another dude who thought there was also going to be Papageno, whom then after some negotiation was known as Papageno. Well, I mean, they were both very gay, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's... uh, (laughs) And lastly, the other villain next to uh, Queen Shakti, Monsanto. Now, that was... You can't have a good opera without a little bit of social criticism. Exactly. And I know there was Monosato or Monosarto or something. Monsanto. Some... It's like it's a, it's a seed company. No, I know I know oh. that. But the, the original character in oh, the Oh, the, oh in I forgot his name, yes. Monos, monostrato. Again, like, so. something interesting that you, you should mention that. I, I know you mentioned that earlier that there seems to be this trope going on mm-hmm. these days about the captain of the guard being this big guy of... Oh, yes. Yeah, African... In your, well, yeah. In the, Can in I the, say in black? Like this yeah, big... yeah. In the original tweet that I saw was the, uh, the observation that in a Euro white uh, fantasy kingdom, there is always one black dude, yeah. and it's always the, the captain of the guard. Turns out, in The Magic Flute... The captain of the slaves yes. is a big black dude. Yep. So this trope has been going on for at least 300 years at this point. It's tokenism because you get just the one and he's a, and he's a good one. He is trusted well, he's with the, the he's implicit the, message. He's the, he's the bad guy in oh, this plot. Oh, is he? He kind of is. He's the one who, like, fights. So, yes, Camino is preparing for his part to sing in the upcoming pr- production from the Kamikaze Theatre of uh, The Magic Flute. And he's a little bit worried because he's gotten his hands on a review from one of the critics who's seen like a pre-production oh, version yeah. of this thing and who's chosen to borrow the, the words of the infamous Stephen Pyle who describes Camino as the world's worst opera singer whom none before or since has succeeded in liberating themselves quite so completely from the shackles of musical notation. <laughs> Which about is... 
Gardening as you get. Do we hey? Do we know whom that was originally written about? It was written about, about Florence Foster, Foster Jennings. Yes, it was. Yes. Okay, so she is a hero of mine. Ah. So she, Florence Foster Jennings. I'm so happy that you brought this up. Florence Foster Jennings, for the readers at home, is an opera singer in the loosest sense of the word, who who gave. Dozens, if not hundreds, of performances, despite a complete manifest lack of, of any musical talent or skill. Or skill. She was a widow who decided that she was going to take up opera, and she—I mean, she would just hire venues and perform for and hire audiences, entire audiences, and then dwindling audiences, and then she forbade critics, and then she forbade like basically everyone. But she would just hire the theater and invite some of her friends, and she would usually like cook beforehand, so they came mostly for the food. For, and, well, come for the food, stay for the mishandling of the opera, I suppose. I love her so much because she continued even in the face of. All of reality telling her she was terrible at this, she still found a way to go and do it because she loved doing it. And it why is, else? And if, if that's your thing, if it makes you happy, then by all means do it. Exactly. Like you can, you can be a couple of dudes sitting here with microphones that almost no one in the world listens to, and then you put a lot of time into the preparation and the and the editing, and you do it because it's fucking it cool. Is, it's- we are Florence Foster Jenkins. We are the Florence Foster Jenkins of the podcasting world. Let's go with that. <laughs> wow. I think we've got our title, episode title. <laughs> yeah. I sort of feel a little bit giddy, much like the members of the Kamikaze Theatre who devote themselves so much to their character that they subject themselves to an exclusive diet representing it. So for uh, uh, Papa Strato and Papa Gay too, like that's an all-nut diet because they're playing these bird people. That's not very far from their usual yeah. uh, engagements, but, you know, they kind of go with that. And so they're all suffering from malnutrition delirium, which I'm kind of feeling as well. Oh, was your drink, drink empty? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. So Camino sits there uh, noodling away on the Celeste, which is the, the piano-like instrument which is used to uh, ah, yeah. produ- produce the little tinkly notes of the glockenspiel. Like, I think a lot of people will uh, know them, the instruments mostly as the little toy pianos, which uh, oh, yes. operate on the same principle. It's basically a little keyed glockenspiel, which is like... Assume. With little hammers that strike the uh, pieces of exactly uh, the metal, uh, metal, which are which produce little bright notes. Pretty much, yes. Uh, oh, that seems so uh, cool. And he's kind of like noodling on. I guess he must play the secret chord or something, because the entire world around him changes, and he finds himself transported. Into yes. what he thinks, like, oh, the, the decor guys have really upped their game. They, they must have wheeled in the new scenery because I'm, like, standing here in front of the temple of Isis and Osiris. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, what, a, what a remarkable thing. While well, he's still noodling on his game. Yeah, he was probably really reminded of, like, one of the previous kamikaze theater productions of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> Yes. Where, hey, I'm, I'm pretty sure this exact thing happens. Someone finds a magic like space synthesizer. I suppose, yeah. I mean, Camino's cat wasn't very pleased that he had to get painted green. Uh, yeah, well. That, you know, white paint cats, you know. It's like a famous book, by the way. But uh, <laughs> Yes, I believe that's come up. Uh, uh, followed by the sequel, White Cat's Paint, oh. which is like an entirely different book. Well, I mean, this friend of mine stuck some fake eyebrows on his dog. Oh, it's great. He looked very surprised. Yes. And then he looked angry. <laughs> then he looked angry. And then, no, and I, I still think next he should do a little Fu Manchu. Ooh, that would be funny, but dog might try to lick that off or something. Right? That was a problem, I recall, in uh, the film Resident Evil by Paul Anderson, 2002. Hey, yeah. This yeah. is what we're, I'm, I'm doing it. Where uh, you had these zombie dogs, and so they had actual dogs made up in, in zombie makeup. 
right? With, with oh, with gross, with meat hanging off them. Yeah, like, they tried kept eating the meat of each other. Yeah, even though it was all food safe stuff, it, yeah. it gave them awfully terrible tummies. And, oh dear. Yeah, so they, they eventually like redesigned the makeup to make it out of spaghetti. <laughs> and that spaghetti stopped them from eating it? No, they could just go nuts. And oh, then eventually okay. they'd, they'd have enough sense. of it and it would still look gross. So it looked because fine. Because now it just looked a bit chewed upon, which is kind of like appropriate for zombies. Makes sense. So he finds himself in front of the Temple of Isis and Osiris, yeah. and there's a big temple conflict going on at this point. It takes him a while to catch on to the fact that he is, in fact, not in the theatre production anymore, because everybody is so... I mean, they're all method actors, or how you, kamikaze actors, really. Uh, they're super hard. And he, and he recognises everybody as being his fellow actors. And, it's like, and, it, and it takes him a little bit to realise, basically takes him getting thrown into the dungeon, that he uh, realised that, no, no, in fact, he is not back in his own safe theatre anymore because he's tried using the safe word for a few times uh, and he's, he's not... <laughs> oh yes, what, what was the safe word? Um, Is that the Rindfleischetikettierungsangebot, the, you know, that incredibly long German word? Oh, I don't... I don't I oh, it was... A, so it's the officially the longest German word, the Rindfleischetikettierungsüberwachsungsaufgabenübertragungsgesetz. Okay, so yeah. the beef labelling... Watchdogs überwachsung? Uh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, that's Germanic languages for you. You can just like basically keep stitching words together and it still makes sense. And he yells it three times as he's supposed to, and like nothing happens. No and weird no. ghosts appear in the mirror or anything <laughs> like that. And uh, he finds himself in the temple conflict, the temple of Isis and Osiris, and the conflict between Queen Shakti and uh, Monsanto. Well, that was uh, one team. That was one team. Yeah, Mon uh, uh, Monsanto. And on the other no, team was. No, no, Monsanto was on Charasso's team. Oh, is Queen Shakti is uh, the queen of the night. Yes. Who is basically trying to turn the temple into a gay nightclub. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not, not the usual way that temple conflicts go, because this seems like a, a violation of the principles of the temple of Isis and Osiris under the leadership of the uh, well, high priest Sarastro. Yeah, well, Isis is, of course, the uh, queen of the sky. And, uh, oh, yes, of course, yeah, I knew that. Uh, and Osiris is the king of the underworld. Yeah, uh, okay. So that's a bit of an interesting mix-up there. And Sarasso being the sorcerer here, who is trying to turn the temple into a Masonic society. Yes, because that was a huge thing. Oh, in yes. The, in the time that Mozart was writing The Magic Flute, Freemasonry and Egyptophilia was like, it was Beatlemania. A big thing, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a Mason along with the, I forgot his name again, the guy who wrote the Reto. They were both Freemasons in the same society. Apparently there's a lot of symbolism in there, although that, again, is also disputed a little bit. I guess that's the Freemasons thing. They put their things everywhere and then they go like, oh, no, 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 that's not us. It's like, nothing to yeah. do with us. Then why? And then what's the point? Like, putting these secret codes in, in everywhere. So they can go like, hey, hey, hey you know, you see the it's thing? Not and me. It's like, it's no, not, no, it's, it's not, not us. us. It's not us. No, totally not us. But, it but it's such a pointless dog whistle because if it's so deniable, then it's barely even there, right? Yeah. Also, secondarily, every time that I try to figure out the name of this person who played Papageno and who did the libretto, yeah. the only name that I can come up with is the one from, is Otto von Krankenbrusch. Otto von Krankenbusch Schinken Gescheitmeier. Wow. Who is the name of the, of the yeah, of another famous opera, uh, a character in another famous opera, which is the Animaniacs version of uh, 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 Schnitzelbank. Oh, I don't know what Schnitzelbank is, but... Uh... So it's a, it's a German traditional song that Germans don't know because it's an American song, but it's, it, it's in German and it's... Uh, uh, is das nicht ein Key ein Lock? Ja, das ist ein Key ein Lock. Key ein Lock. Oh, du schöne, oh, du schöne, oh, du schöne Schnitzelbank. And, it's, <laughs> it and it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun to sing, and it's always like a call and response with someone right. where they learn German words or, you know, But the, the song German itself words. makes no sense whatsoever. No, it's uh, Emanuel Schikaneder. Uh, well, 
Yeah. I guess that makes more sense than Otto von Krankenbuschinken Gescheitmeier, but I think I'm going to keep calling him Otto von Krankenbuschinken Gescheitmeier. Schikaneder. With an E. Uh, no, no, it's Nader with an E. Stand corrected. Yeah. The Freihaus Theater of den Wien. Oh. Schink an Eder. How about that? So oh, that the makes town sense. of Schink on the river Eder? That, that makes sense. Right. He finds himself locked up in the temple trying to figure out the situation between uh, Queen uh, Shakti and uh, Sorcerer Sarastro. Uh, no, wait, Sar- Sarastro. Yeah. Sarastro, yeah, that's, that's the one that's actually... He got it Sarastro. right. Yes, I guess he got there in time. And, of course, the, the eternal problem between the love interest between the queen's daughter and the sorcerer's son. Ah, uh, yes. Which turns out that, like, back in the real world with the custody battle... Between the daughter and the son, there seems to be. Oh, this, yes, this, that's right. I, I love how the things going on in the in the mystical world like mirror the things going on in the real world, and I think it's, it's very good when a, when an author can pull that off in a book that they uh, have these conflicts mirroring and paralleling and bringing the conflict out in the fantasy world or in the mystical world, wherever it is and that in is, theater, ha- this is it's happening. It's always a, 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 a great convenience when you could just have a, a certain number of actors and they can play multiple roles, it's sort of like in the 1930s produ- uh, cinema production of The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. where, you know, Auntie M and the Wicked Aunt was also a Wicked Witch. Yes. And uh, the Great Wizard of Oz was played by the same actor who played the sort of traveling uh, sales magician. Actually, which I believe actually comes back in the other productions, where it's like he, he got transported to the Wizard of Oz by his magical balloon or something. or his balloon. Yeah. Oh, there was a recent one called The, uh, the Emerald City, uh-huh. and it's by Tarsam Singh, he also did like the cell and and a few other oh, yes. incredible production beautiful, design. Beautiful, beautiful imagery. Yeah, yeah, and also quite horrifying a lot of the time. It's, it's, it, they're very scary as well. Well, I, I, I do believe that's the one where the horse gets sliced up and pulled apart. Vincent D'Onofrio plays the wizard. It's it's, ah. it's wonderful. So things are looking not very great for our hero, Camino. He's locked up in a cell. Things ain't going well. Hey, locked up in a cell. Name that particular song, Theatre Nerds. Uh, yeah, it's from the Josephine, the Amazing Technical Dream Coat. Um. I know like one musical. So he, he does have the advantage that because all of the equivalents of these characters that he meets here, they're mystical shadows of their real-world selves, but their real-world selves were super into kamikaze theatre. So they portrayed these characters so deeply, he actually already knows quite a lot about them. He knows what their problems are. He knows what they want. He knows Certainly how they tend to interact. Papa Gay Two and Papa Straight know. Well, like, that's he like understand. yeah. Okay, I mean, so that's... you guys, you need to be on you, the team with. You the... get to do the bird thing. Uh, like, yeah, make it like two lovebirds. And, you're you're uh, all nut diet. You can here. I've got the, I've got the secret for for bird gene splicing. It's like they're already running around in the bird outfits, which seems to be the thing. I guess it's yeah. like the, the, the queen of the nights, like security guards from the gay club in the temple. So that must be what we're seeing on the cover, by the way. And there's lots of strutting and showing off your feathers, which seems to be very much like it's a little bit Priscilla-ish, but it works. Uh... <laughs> yeah, Priscilla, Queen of the Night. Um... Oh, good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only we hadn't already figured out a terrible name for this episode. <laughs> that might have. Oh, we can still change that. Yeah. yeah who knows. Um, but so Camino is able to win the trust of these other characters because he, he understands them through and through. He manages to resolve the, the relationship between Papa Straitenu and Papa, uh, Papa Gay too. He understands that Sarastro is really quite a heroic figure, despite being misunderstood. He, he just wants to do what he thinks is best for the temple. He wants to maintain the old traditions of the ancient Egyptian gods and keep yeah. the temple in its right. And of, of course, uh, Queen Shakti f- figures that it should have been hers when, it should, like, when her late husband should have left it to her and not to Sarastro. 
Yes, when, like she feels that about the children right. in that particular marriage. So, um, she just like wants her daughter to be happy, and even though she threatens her with uh, disowning her if she doesn't like go and yeah. like stab Sarastro through the heart. Uh, oh, yeah, that was the plot. Lots of things are drawn here from the magic flute. I, I kind of like how an author manages to use a old story like that and then retell oh, it yeah. in their own rights and follow, give it their own little twists. And uh... See, people talk a lot of yay about like cliches and how they're derivative, but every cliche started out as a great idea. Yeah, and then other people went like, oh, this is good, and like we can use that. So even though it's kind of a cliche ending how this is resolved, because uh, a Camino pieces together a brand new glockenspiel out of pieces of armour from the various guards that covered him. Oh, the little librarianess has a has a review to add. I think she spotted the one of the raccoons. Oh, yes, yes. Tell yeah? us. Yeah, what is it? Tell lady? us more. And so, in, 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 in proper cliche fashion, he kills a bunch of his guards, fashions their uh, armor into a new Glockenspiel suit, plays a new intergalactic melody on that, opens a portal back to Earth where he summons one of the leftovers from his kamikaze theater troupe, uh, Freemason Windu, ah. um, who brings along a supply of homemade lightsabers uh, <laughs> so that everyone may, may free themselves from the invasion of the, the Queen of the Night. Queen of the Night is happy because she sees a lot of glow sticks. And she, I can dig with this. If, if this becomes the uh, new vibe of this place, then exactly. I can club around this. And... As long as everyone keeps their costumes on, everyone keeps their masks on. Now, obviously, Camino is totally down with that. That was his life anyway. Yeah. Everybody else, they kind of love. So Rastro goes like, "Yeah, we can do masks in our in our Masonastic traditions. We can yep. have everybody wear masks." And so he adds that to the bylaws and the charter that everyone must wear masks. To which everyone replies, "This is the way." Oh, yes, <laughs> because and so I love it when an opera resolves itself in such a, it's such a traditional way. It is. It turns into this big production, of course, where everybody's massively singing along with the orchestra. And yes, everyone gets builds to... to a huge crescendo, especially Papa Gay, uh, Papa Papa Stratek, no, Papa Straight, no, Papa Straight, no, and Papa Gay too. Yes, yeah. they, that they, they have the biggest climax that they can on stage. <laughs> they uh, and at the at the end, as the as the curtains draw on this mystical world, where Camino chooses to stay behind because it is way more kamikaze theater than the real world ever was. They all get together to announce their next project, which will be Back to the Future set in space. And I think Andre Norton is known for these kind of outlandish, kind of gonzo stories, just going by the covers of her books. Well, that's the covers. You wonder always, did the guy who painted the cover even read the book? And in this case, I def- definitely think so. At least yeah, the, the like art director from the from Ace Publishing. who reviewed the book on the podcast actually read the book? Oh, yeah. Well, no. Just as much as the, uh, as the artist did, I'm as sure. As we're supposed to. After all, we are a literally <laughs> book review podcast. We sure are. And I would like to refer to the subtitle of our podcast. <laughs> yes. So, judging a book by its cover, how are we going to rate this book? Ooh, um, well, um, let's see. Um, we've, got, we've always done, uh, uh, what's it called? String? Uh, integers. Yeah. We don't have to do integers. No. We could give it, like, 1.69 out of 2. Oh. Well, nice. 69 was last week's episode, so... Yeah, it is 1.69. That's not a multiple of 69. No one's going to no. see any any kind of correlation or say, or there. nice. No. Yeah. Just, I mean... Uh, all our books are nice, aren't 1. they? 1.16, well, we, 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 we try not to review books that we don't like. You know, that's like... It's like and the other way around. Like, I always try to read, to, to like every book that I read. Oh, uh, fair point. Certainly, like, if I paid money for it, 
Mm. You know, uh, like, well, like it, I, I guess you, you you listen to a lot of books, don't you? I suppose that I means. do. I, I do like to listen to, uh, to books, which I think is sort of the same as reading. It is. I th- I th- actually, it probably adds a little bit of depth because there's the interpretation of the uh, performer. Yes, which some people they like the freedom for their own theatre of the imagination, mm. but sometimes you can have a, a, a good ally in that. You ain't never had a friend like me. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong book again. <laughs> All right, so 1.69 out of 2. I'll going once, going yeah, twice. Going, going. Yeah. So I really enjoyed this book. It, it was thrilling. It was surprising as a, as a good opera. Lots of musical references. Uh, yeah, I'm, su- I'm kind of impressed with us. Forgetting uh, all yeah, of those. No, I mean, we do a little bit of research into our reviews, don't we? <laughs> so what do we have in store? Oh, yeah, and speaking of review, if you look down at your podcasting device, you should should be seeing an opportunity to leave a few stars, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you at covermyoutcast at gmail.com, certainly if you have a suggestion for a book. But in the meantime, what, what do have we have in store for our readers next week? Next week's book is by Louis de Bernier, The War of Don Emmanuel's Nether Parts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us at Cover My Ass, where baffling books are reviewed but not read by yours truly. My name is Kaki. And I'm Kay. And remember, we, we only judge a book by its cover. cover. Oh, the little librarian is what she was supposed to us. Yeah, come here, come here. You want to help us review the next book? So, did she have to go through the gauntlet that I have to go through to become a librarian? She's just straight up the librarian, right? Honorary title. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>